need to be. All right, this is Luke's version of Jesus's trial. And so anytime we read a Bible scripture, we want to ask what happened, and then more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of it, all right? So I want to find ourselves in this story and, this, uh, and see if we can open this up. And by the way, this is all fixing to happen um, on Sunday. So this is the celebration of that. This is called Palm Sunday. Uh, but to understand Palm Sunday, I think we have to go forward and look at the trial. So this is the trial. Um, this is Luke 24, um, verse 1, I think. Luke 23, sorry. Um, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar. And by the way, he claims to be Messiah, which in our world means a king. Now, I want to stop right there and point out that when the Jews bring him to Pilate, they do not accuse him of blasphemy. Why? Pilate wouldn't have cared. He is a Roman governor. What does he care whether this guy offended your God or not? They don't accuse him of sin. Why? Why would Pilate care? What they accuse him of is being subversive. They they accuse him of treason against the Roman Empire. Now that Pilate will care about. So they accuse him of treason and trying to set himself up as Messiah. Now, Messiah to Pilate means nothing, right? But But they go and explain it. They say, listen, when he says Messiah, that sounds weird to you, but that means he's saying he's a king. Messiah in our world is a king. So in the scriptures, when they use the word like Messiah or Christ, this was not about some otherworldly aspect to Jesus. This was about Jesus being king on the earth here now today. Like Isaiah put it, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. So they're claiming this to be. Now watch what Pilate says. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you've said so. I'm not saying that here. You're saying that. Yes, that's what you're saying, right? Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Now, what are the ch- what's the charge they're trying to bring against him? Treason, subverting a nation, setting himself up to be king. Essentially, Pilate asked him one question and goes, I don't think this is the guy. This guy seems pretty chill to me, y'all. I'm serious. I don't think this is the kind of thing that this guy seems to be getting up to. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if he was a Galilean. When he had heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, this story leads me with all kinds of questions, because none of it makes sense on the surface. Essentially, you got a guy who they say is claiming to be king and subverting a nation. They bring him to the Roman governor, and they say he's committing treason against Rome. He questions him and says, nah, he seems pretty chill to me. I don't find a basis to charge this guy. Then he finds out he's from Galilee, and instead of being in Judea, he sends him to Herod, who was in Jerusalem, but Herod was in charge of Galilee. So there's all kinds of questions that we need to dig into here to fully understand what's going on. So a couple of questions here. One, if Jesus' main message was to believe in him in order to go to heaven, why kill him? Like, why would you kill a guy? If Jesus' main thing was, hey guys, believe in me, 
accept me as your personal Lord and Savior, pray a magic prayer and ask me in your heart, and one day you'll go to heaven. Is that really worth killing a guy over in first century Roman Empire? No, they wouldn't have cared about that. They'd have been like, well, so what? He's sort of a lunatic, but whatever. If Jesus' main message was just believe in me so you can go to heaven, why is that so threatening? Or if Jesus' main message was to take care of the poor, why kill him? Like if Jesus' main message was, hey, when you see someone who has less than you and you can do something to meet their needs, then meet their needs. Why is that so subversive? Why would that be worth killing someone over? And third question, why not just kill him yourself? Why have Rome do the dirty work? Was there not some sort of underground contingent in Jerusalem of some back alley big sort of cat Jews that were like the enforcers? Could they have not have lured him into an alley in Jerusalem and just handled their business themselves? No. No. What do they do? They hire Rome to get to do the dirty work. Why wouldn't they just kill him themselves? Why have Pilate do it? And fourth, why are both Herod and Pilate even in Jerusalem when they lived in Caesarea? There's so much going on here. Pilate and Herod both had massive mansions in Caesarea, but in this moment, they both happened to be in Jerusalem. Why would the two Roman leaders be in Jerusalem at a moment? Why wouldn't they be in their mansions? Why would they come to where the low-life slaves congregate? Why would they do that? There's so much going on here that we need to dig into this so that we can understand it. So, a quick history lesson on the rule of Rome. Jesus lived under the authority of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was run by a group of people called Caesars, okay? Caesars. Now, the first Caesar was a guy named Julius Caesar. He was amazing. He combined the whole world under one rule, and he invented the salad at the same time. This guy was incredible and very busy. In in 44 B.C., If you know your history, he gets killed by being stabbed in the back by his best friend, a guy named Brutus. Now, Julius Caesar claimed to be God in flesh. As a matter of fact, the propaganda on Julius Caesar was that he was fully God and fully man, the fullness of God incarnate, and in no other name on earth by which men can be saved under the name of Caesar. He gets stabbed in the back by his best friend, this sort of Sort of hurt his God claims. The idea was, bro, if you were actually God, you should have seen that coming. Now, here's the problem. At Julius Caesar's funeral, there just so happened to be a strange star that appeared in the sky. Historians said that this star was so large, it lit up the day and the night for seven consecutive days. A bit of an exaggeration. What they do know now, astronomers know what happened. What happened is a comet came close to Earth, so close, in fact, that it lit up the day and the night sky. And they've actually named that comet now. It's called Caesar's Comet. There was a rock song in the 70s about it. It was Caesar's Comet, right? It's that kind of thing. So, but think about this. If you are first century and primitive and have no telescopes and understand nothing, and you're at the funeral of a guy that said he was God, and suddenly a star that doesn't belong appears and slowly shoots across the day and night sky for a period of a couple of days, what conclusion would you come to? Here was the conclusion they came to, that Julius Caesar was in fact God. And he was taking his seat amongst the council 
of the gods. So Julius Caesar's adopted great nephew, a guy named Octavius, who was assuming the throne under the name of Caesar Augustus, he capitalized on this and he said, see, that proves my father is God. And if my father is God, then I am the son of God. Okay, first, it wasn't his father. It was his adopted great uncle, but nonetheless, close enough, right? If my father is God, then I am the son of God. And if I'm the son of God, I should be worshiped. So, Caesar Augustus instituted a 12-day celebration of his birth, and he called that 12-day celebration Advent. It was called the Advent of Caesar Augustus, and it lasted for 12 days from December 19th to December 31st every single year. Hmm. On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent him. Right, right, right. They actually changed the calendar to coincide the new New Year's Day with Caesar Augustus's birth. Now, how do you get word from Spain to India that you are God in flesh and this has been confirmed by stars? How do you get that word around? There's no electricity, no printing press, no internet, no social media, CNN, Fox News, no MSNBC, no BBC, no, uh no. How do you do it? Here's what they did. They printed it on money. Here's the reason why. Money went around the empire. Let me show you. I can show you a lot of these coins. Let me just show you one. Here is the Caesar Augustus star coin. You can see the head side. You don't need any degree to see that that says Caesar Augustus, and that's his image. On the right side, what do you see? That's the tails. That's a giant star. And around that star, it says, God saves. Caesar Augustus, God saves. Remember, there's this one time, they were trying to trap Jesus in treason, and they say, hey, Jesus, what do you say we do with tributes to Caesar? right? And remember what Jesus says? He's like, huh, tributes to Caesar. Sounds like a trap. Okay, um, I, I need a coin. I don't have a coin. Um, somebody's going to give me a coin, right? And so Jesus is like patting his, patting his pockets. I don't have a coin. And somebody goes, oh, I have a coin. See, they hand Jesus the coin. And he says, whose image is on the coin? And what do they say? It was Caesar's. And remember what Jesus says? He goes, well, if Caesar's image is on the coin, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Why? 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 What, they're Jews, right? What was the second command? Don't, don't have idols. In other words, Jesus is like, you're trying to trap me, but you're the one carrying the image of a round of somebody that says he's God. I would keep Caesar's what's Caesar's, and I would keep God's what's God's if I were you. You're trying to trap me, but you're committing idolatry, which is like Hebraic rabbinical kung fu. It's Jesus going, what? right? This guy is having a massive go at them. Now, now, there was a king in the land named Herod, and Herod was loyal to Julius Caesar in the civil war between him and Pompey. Julius Caesar won that war and actually rewarded Herod with being a king of the entire nation of Israel. Herod dies in 4 BC, right? And so um, the Caesar Augustus says, well, what we'll do is we'll keep it in the family. And he divided Israel into three lots, Judea in the south, Galilee in the middle, and, um, and then the northern regions. And so what he did is he gave the southern region to Archelaus, one of Herod's sons. He gave the, the middle region to Herod, uh, uh, Herod Antipas, which they, they all sound similar. But Herod Antipas was the king of, of the Galilean region. And then his son Philip was the king of the north, all right? 
Archelaus made such a right mess of things that in 22 AD, Caesar removed him and replaced him with a guy named Pilate. Yes, this Pilate, which is why Pilate is in a conundrum from a judicial point of view. They're standing in Judea, which he's in charge of, but when he finds out he's a Galilean, he's actually under Herod's jurisdiction, and he doesn't want to cross horns with Herod. That would be a big, big problem. So here's what happened. A Caesar named Tiberius put Pilate in charge of the Israelite region in Judea, and he said, your whole job in life is to keep these people from rioting. They have a problem with rioting, and your job is to keep them from rioting. And if you can keep them from rioting, I'll give you a mansion in Caesarea. Think about your Bible. How much is Pilate preoccupied with whether they're going to riot or not? Lots. He's like, I don't want to kill the guy, but if I don't, they might riot. Or, please, we got to keep these guys from rioting, which leads me to this question. Why was Pilate and Herod even in Jerusalem? Here's why. On this week, the Jews celebrated something called Passover. Now, why is that important? Why would Pilate care about a feast called Passover? Here's why. At Passover, every Jew within walking distance would walk to Jerusalem, eat the biggest meal of the year, drink four glasses of wine, and then sing songs about God's will to deliver them from whoever's oppressing them in slavery, which, in the first century, who was oppressing them? Rome. Now, can you think of an environment more conducive to a riot than 250,000 Jews getting together, singing songs about their God's will to deliver them from you? That is something conducive to a riot. We wouldn't be comfortable with that either. If 250,000 people who felt oppressed by Australia were marching down these streets singing songs about their God's will to deliver them from mighty Australia, Australia would not be comfortable with this, okay? So this is what is happening. So why is Pilate and Herod even there? Because they're trying to stop riots. So here's what Pilate would do. This is a Roman aquila. It's an eagle on a stick. Here's what he would do. He would come down from Caesarea on, a, on the biggest war horse he could find. The biggest war horse in the whole infantry was, his, the whole cavalry, excuse me, was his. He would put it on a chariot, and he would ride into Jerusalem with his platoon of soldiers holding that. It's an eagle on a stick. It's an ancient and modern symbol of military dominance. When a military puts an eagle on a flag or on a stick and they're in their foreign country, it's their way of saying, we're this, and they'd march in. Nazis did it. Remember the Nazis? They had these flags with the eagles like this, and they'd march into your town like that. There's a nation that I might be from that puts eagles on top of their flag sticks, right? God bless America. Right? This... This is, this is what we do. So they, the, the Romans did this as well. So here's what would happen, right? Pilate would come into Jerusalem. You've got to picture this now. 250,000 Jews fired up, 
singing songs about God's will to deliver them from Rome, only to find Pilate ruining their party, coming in on a war horse, holding his eagle on a stick. And here was the law. If Pilate held that eagle out toward you, you had to stop singing and acknowledge that I'm allowed to sing only because Rome lets me sing. I'm allowed to sing because Rome allows it, but Rome is in charge. Herod the Great, one time to appease Caesar, put a 40-foot eagle on top of the temple in order to declare even our God bows to the authority of Rome. Do you guys remember this is an older movie now, about five, six years? It was a movie called Pompeii. And it's where the, the slaves were forced to fight in the Colosseum in Pompeii. And remember the Celtic warrior? He, he smuggles in an eagle on a stick to, to the whole open-air arena. And when he gets it in there, he holds it up to everybody and then smashes it over his knee. It is that. It is this. This is what was happening. 250,000 people singing songs about God's will to deliver them from Rome, only to have Rome come in and remind them of the eagle on a stick. Which, let me stop right there, and let's talk about us. What's our eagle on a stick? Like, how many of us sing songs about God's will to deliver us from whatever we are struggling with, only to go home at night and have those voices in our head dominating us? Depression, rejection, fear of poverty, fear of not having enough, guilt, shame, all of us. In one sense, this is a story about a group of people under actual oppression singing songs about they wish God would deliver them from them, only to have the eagle on a stick. There's a literal aspect to this. But in terms of us, this is not just a story about them. This is a story about me, and it's a story about you, and it's a story about all of our eagles on a stick that need to be crushed by the presence of God in our life. We are more like these people than we might think. Now, Here's what would happen. Here's a map of Jerusalem in the first century. I've got my, my trusty pointer. I make a testimony before you right now. I've never done drugs in my life. But I have a hard time holding these steady. So here we go. So Caesarea was way up here on the ceiling somewhere. Okay, if you could just picture it way up here. All right. Pilate would come down into the city on his war horse through the F, right there. Now, right there was a place called Gehenna. Gehenna is hell. So when Jesus said the word hell, 87% of the time, he's talking about a rubbish dump right there. Now, the reason Pilate would come through this way is the army barracks were here. Right? So it's very important we understand this, and I want you to know it more than I want to go fast. Okay, so, so Pilate would come from Caesarea right down through the F, right through hell, that way riding a war horse with some go Broncos gusto. I want everybody to say war horse. Ready? Go. War horse. That's pretty good. All right, let's try that again. Ready? Go. War horse. If you're Afrikaans, it's Orlux paired. Okay? Now, that's pretty good. All right, now, so Pilate would come down from Caesarea through the F, right through hell, riding a war horse. On the same day, 
right before Passover, Jesus is coming in from this way. Now, let me just give you a quick map here. So this is Bethany, Bethpage, and then this whole area here is called the Mount of Olives. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know there's no olives on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is the biggest cemetery you've ever seen in your life, okay? I'll show you in a second. So Jesus comes from Bethany to Bethpage, right through the Mount of Olives Cemetery. Huge. Now, think about this. What is in a cemetery? Yes, dead people. Yes. No, no, no. Yeah, like stones. Lots and lots of stones. Lots and lots of gravestones. So Jesus comes right through this cemetery where there's lots of stones, through the Garden of Gethsemane, which is right here, and then he comes in through the temple, which is the house of God. So, one quick review. Caesar. I mean, sorry, Pilate comes from Caesarea down through the F, through hell, riding a war horse. Yes, Jesus comes from Bethany to Bethpage through the Mount of Olives Cemetery where there's heaps of stones riding a donkey, all right? Afrikaans for donkey is donkey. Now, right? Now, let me just show you a picture of the Mount of Olives Cemetery. Here it is, right? Now, this, is, this, this photo is so good because I took it myself. Now, here's the thing. So I'm standing, I'm standing on the wall of Jerusalem, and that's the Mount of Olives. It is as far as you could see. That is a cemetery, okay? That is uh, Malachi's grave. That is Zechariah's grave. Right up here is Micah's grave. But you can see these little stones. Those are all, those are all people in stone boxes because they can't bury them. The ground is too hard. Oh, by the way, People paid a premium to be buried there in the first century. Here's the reason why. They were told that when Messiah comes back and establishes his kingdom, he would do so from the Mount of Olives and there would be a resurrection. So people paid a premium to be buried there. The idea was is that if you were buried there, you'd have the shortest walk into the city. That's the idea. Now, true. Now, let me, let me, show, you, let me, show, you, let me show you when I went up to the road there, right? That's a, that's a close-up. See, that's just a grave. But they can't bury him. So there's a dead body in there, right? And then that's telling you who that is. And then the next, the next. And they're just piled up like that for as far as the eye could see. Now, Jesus, when he came in, came in from over here at Bethany to Bethpage, through the Mount of Olives Cemetery down that road. See that road now? It's paved now. But back in Jesus' day, he would have had to ride a donkey right through there, right? Now, when he rode through that cemetery, there's heaps of stones. All right, very good. Now, one quick review. So Pilate comes from Caesarea down through the F, through hell, riding a war horse. Yes, Jesus comes from Bethany to Bethpage through the Mount of Olives Cemetery where there are heaps of stones, and he's riding a donkey. Now, let's see if any of that makes us make any more sense of this story. Here we go. This is Luke 21. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple And each evening, he went out to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. Why? Because if you want some alone time, camping out between graves is a good idea, right? And it was right there. No one's going to follow you into the cemetery to bother you. When you get tired of asking and answering questions, you just go chill out between the gravestones, and that's cool, right? And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. You could see where that happened. Now, here we go. Watch this. Here's his Matthew. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, 
and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now what Matthew's doing here in Hebrew is he's doing something called a remez. It would be sort of like this. If Australia was taken over by a tyrannical government who made it illegal to ever have a Bible, all iPads with any Bibles are confiscated, all Bible software is eradicated, and it is illegal to quote the Bible to each other, right? What would be the problem with that? Well, the problem is they don't know the Bible, right? So you could sort of get away with it if you were a little bit incognito. Second thing is, is you would be stuck. The thing they can never take from you is what you've memorized. So what you have in your head is in your head. Now, the good thing with Jews is they memorize the whole Bible when they're kids, right? So to say, don't be quoting that stuff around here doesn't help because they have it in their head. So they would do this regularly. It was called remez. What would happen is, is somebody would quote a part of a passage and then you would finish that passage in your head. So if I was to say, hey, remember guys, remember, remember, hey, take heart. For God so loved the world that he, you know, yeah, but you'd have to do it in your head or you'd get shot, right? So you go, that he gave his only begotten, right? Right, you'd be doing that, right? Or if I was to say, hey, remember, we, we know that, that, that all things work together for the good, right, of those who love God, right, right? And so we, we would know this. Matthew is doing this, right? He's quoting half of a prophecy. The question is, which prophecy? And what would the people hearing it have done? When they heard it, they would have quoted the rest of the prophecy. Here's the rest of the prophecy. Let's see if this makes any sense. This is a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 1. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Exactly what Matthew says. Here's the next part of the prophecy. And I will take away the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken and he will proclaim peace to the nations. And his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Can you see why Matthew left that part off? Right? Who's coming in on the other end of the city? Pilate. What's he riding? A war horse. If this gets out, the the, the people there would have been like, oh, no, he didn't. Do you know what Pilate does to people saying things like this? They have, they have wooden stakes. They nail you to them. No, no, no. Well, this is serious, subversive, in-your-face political upheaval going on here of, an, of somebody standing up for the oppressed. And Matthew going, hey, remember Zechariah? He said when your king comes in on a donkey, that is the beginning of the end of the guy on the war horse. Now, people respond to this. By singing about a king, as you would. The problem with singing about a king is, who can't hear it? Pilate. Because if Pilate hears it, who's going to die? All of you, right? If he comes over with his eagle on a stick and you're singing about another king, this is a problem. So watch what happens. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives. Now, Let me remind you, the road goes down the Mount of Olives through a 
Cemetery. What's in a cemetery? Stones. Yes. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they've seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. This was all propaganda about Caesar. They, they would say Caesar would bring peace from heaven, peace through victory. Glory to God was glory. They, they are just, this is an in your face. If you ever thought the Bible was boring, somebody needs to teach it to you again because this is not boring. This is, this is a group of people who are oppressed by the Roman Empire going up yours. You're not going to get the last word here, right? Now watch what happens. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Rabbi... Rebuke your disciples. Now, don't get mad at the Pharisees. They don't want to die, nor do they want a mass execution. Yet, Rabbi, you got to tell them to quit singing. I don't know if you're new to this, but that guy is coming in on his war horse, and it's just right there. It's not that far. This many people singing is going to get attention. Tell them to shut up. Essentially, hey, can you tell them to wait till next week? Seriously. Like, their timing sucks. Like, I'm with you. But the timing sort of sucks, okay? Watch what Jesus says to them. I tell you, if they keep quiet, then these stones will cry out. Where is Jesus at? He's in a cemetery. What's going on here? It's not like, I mean, I've heard well-meaning people teach this and go, hey, if you don't get, you better get your praise on. If you don't get your, if you, if you don't, if you lose your praise, that pavement will start singing, which is like creepy and weird and a road going, ah, no. No, what is going on here? Jesus is going, hey, if you guys aren't with me, now's my time. And if you're not with me, then, then we'll just have a resurrection because the dead love me, right? Rumor has it, I preach to them. Like, I, I no, 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 no. They, they're with me or you're with me, you choose. You want a bad episode of The Walking Dead? Or you want to be with me, right? Now, so, Pilate comes from Caesarea down through the F, riding his war horse through hell. Jesus comes from Bethany to Bethpage, through the Mount of Olives Cemetery, where there are heaps of, yes, riding a donkey into the house of God. Now, you might be saying, Shane, okay, mildly entertaining history lesson. I think I understand the scripture better. Thank you for that. But honestly, 2019, so what? What do we do with this. Glad you asked. <laughs> First, why was Jesus killed? Jesus was killed because he was confronting people who were controlling the temple and working with Pilate in order to use people's spiritual guilt to live in mansions. That's why he was killed. He was killed by Rome and by a few corrupt high priests. I have stood in the place where Jesus was tried and it could easily fit on that stage. It wasn't like a massive group of people were wanting him killed. Jesus was very popular. Jesus was, Jesus was killed because he was claiming to bring a new kingdom over the Roman Empire. That's why Jesus was killed. Now, what's this mean for us? There are two ways that you can establish your life. All of us are going to establish our life one of two ways. As a ruling empire or a humble servant. And for those of us who are in church on Wednesday night, we're followers of Jesus. We want to establish our life like he did. And Jesus established his life as a humble servant, not as a ruling empire. There are two ways to be a husband. You can rule or you can serve. 
You could tell everybody you're in charge. Of course, if you have to tell people you're in charge, you're not in charge, right? You're like, I'm the head of this house. Okay, you're the head. She's the neck. She's just turning you wherever she wants, right? Right, right. You could, there's two ways you could be a mom. There's two ways you could be a wife. You could rule or you can serve. You can make your whole family detest you and pray for a comet to come to earth to bring them sweet relief from you. Or you can get up underneath people and say, you know what, I'm going to support this thing. You can, you could, there's two ways to be a boss. There's two ways to be a driver. There's two ways to be a passenger in a car. There's two ways to treat a waitress when she messes up your order. There's two ways to treat that waiter when he's taking too long to get your order. There's two ways. There's two ways to treat the person when you're stuck in economy class on a 10-hour flight and they get on and they take the armrest. There's two ways to do that. There's two ways. There's two ways to handle it when you're on the main road out here and you realize that they're never, ever going to fix that road. Never. There's two ways to do that. There's two ways. You could do it as a, hum- a ruling empire or a humble servant. There, there's two. Let's say it this way. You could do it as an oppressor or as a liberator. In, in this story, you have the oppressor coming in on a big war horse, but you've got the liberator standing up for everybody on the back of a donkey. There's two ways to live your life. You can oppress the world around you or you can liberate them. You could turn a blind eye to the plight of the poor and the afflicted with mentally handicapped children in China, or you can be like Kyla Alexander and say, you know what, I'm going to give my life to restoring their dignity and making sure that they live as free and as educated as humanly possible with as much dignity as you can. You can do it that way. You can continue oppressing by action or inaction, or you can give your life to liberating. Let's say it this way. There's two ways to establish your life, from the gates of hell or from the house of God. You can bring hell to your whole world, or you can bring the presence of God to your world. And that's a better question than where you go when you die. Where you go when you die is a one-time thing, and God is in charge of that, and it's above all of our pay grades. What you're bringing to the world around you is much more um, compelling and dynamic and requires self-evaluation on a daily and weekly basis. What are, hey, just take a second and ask yourself, if you're a husband, What did you bring to your family this week? Did you bring hell? Or did you bring the presence of God and heaven and peace and harmony and love and compassion? If you're a wife, what did you bring to your family this week? Did you give them hell? Or did you bring peace and love and harmony and compassion? What sort of parent were you? How do your children think about you? If if, if I was to ask your six-year-old, if dad is, if God is like daddy, what is God like? What would your six-year-old say? Right? right? What what would would he say? Would he say, well, God, mom must think God's an idiot, right? What would he say, you know? If I I was to ask your neighbor, if God is like your neighbor, what's God like? What kind of picture of God are we to our world? Are we bringing hell to our world, or are we bringing heaven? Uh, Maybe the easiest way to remember tonight, because I gave you a lot, but maybe we can summarize it in one sentence. Are, are, Are you building your life on the back of a war horse or on a donkey? Are you a war horse or are you a donkey? There's two types of lives that we could establish. You could be a war horse or you could be a donkey. Let's say it this way. There are two ways to handle conflict. There's war horse and there's donkey. Absolutely. There's two ways to handle it, ma'am, when your husband leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. You can handle it. You can be a war horse. Pick up your underwear, you stupid idiot right? Or you could be a donkey. 
Hello, sweet, respectable, loving, smart husband of mine. I know that you would gladly die for all of us if an intruder came in the house tonight. And because of that, I'm going to count that even. I'm simply going to kindly ask you, can you pick up your nasty drawers? There's always donkey, right? And you guys, pick up your nasty underwear and light a match every now and then. You're disgusting, right? Hey, guys, there's two ways to handle it when your wife does something that disappoints you. You can be a worse. Call her names. Give her the silent treatment for three days. It always works wonders. There's always donkey. where You can kindly and humbly keep the tone down and explain what hurt. There's two ways. There's two ways to handle conflict. You could be a war horse or you can be a donkey. There's two ways to handle that person at work. You disagree with them. There's two ways. There's two ways to hand there's two ways to handle it when someone disagrees with you about the Bible and wants to point it out, you know? There's two ways. You could be a warhorse and prove how much smarter you are than them by in, by intimidating them and calling them names and throwing things in like idiot or heretic. You could do that, or you could be a donkey and show the whole world what it looks like to have Christ in the center of our conversations. We could do that. There's two ways to deal with tragedy. You could be a war horse and stamp off and show everybody your power, or you can be a donkey. There's two ways to run your business. There's two ways you could be a boss. You could be a war horse of a boss. My way! Or the highway. Or you could be a donkey and you can support your employees. You can pay them well. You could do things that would make them. There's a, there's a way that you could treat employees and they'll find every way to steal from you they can. Or there's another way that we can treat employees and those people would go to hell with gasoline drawers on before they would ever do something to hurt us. There's always, there's two ways to run your business. You can be a war horse or you can be a donkey. This story is about one guy who built his empire on the back of a war horse and another guy who has built a movement that is still going today on the back of servitude, compassion, on the back of a donkey. Maybe we can say it this way. There are two ways to lead your ministry. You can be a war horse, or you can be a donkey. I am the man of God here. Once again, if you have to tell people you're in charge... You're likely not in charge. There are two ways to do it. You can do it like a war horse or you can do it like a servant. There are two ways to raise your family. There are two ways to deal with disappointment. You can be a war horse. Let them all know how you feel. Or you can be a donkey and humble yourself and just let it go. Honestly, if you just let it go 100% of the time, you'd probably only regret it 2% of the time. Just letting it go is a good habit to get into. There are two ways to handle it when things don't go our way. You can be a war horse or you can be a donkey. Here's the thing. And this is why it's so critical. Palm Sunday's coming. This Sunday, we celebrate this moment where there was a clear picture of two ways to build your life. One guy on the back of a war horse with a weapon and an eagle on a stick. Another guy saying, I'm going to love and serve until the kingdom takes hold. And look whose kingdom is still around it won. Here's the thing. I got two questions for you. One, what is your eagle on a stick? What is that thing that although you know you're free, theoretically, you still feel in bondage and you wish God 
would set you just one stage more free, to free us from that eagle on a stick. So let's take a second, and let's be quiet before the Lord. And why don't you just take a second, and underneath your breath, name the eagle on a stick for you. Maybe it's, I'm scared of not having enough, and I can't get, I can't. I'm scared of not being enough. I'm, 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 I'm just scared. It's worry. It's discontentment. It's, 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 it's my 16-year-old. There's just something off. What's going on? I can't, I can't seem to shake it. It's my 26-year-old. It's just something off. I just can't seem to shake it. And it's that thing that reminds us every night that it's actually in charge. We sing songs about God's will to set us free. Actually, we're reminded about the eagle on a stick. So, Lord, we bring our eagles on sticks to you and ask you to set us free. Don't just forgive us. Allow us to be free here, now, today, from the eagles on a stick. Second question, and if you can lie to yourself, it's a big problem. So let's just stop and ask this question. Underneath our breath, Holy Spirit, is there any place I've been a warhorse this week? Maybe you guys can stop and say, Lord, is there any place I've been a war horse to my wife? A war horse to my daughter? A war horse to my son? And you, you wives can say, is there any place I've been a war horse to him? Is there any place I've been a war horse to my kid? To someone at work? To someone driving down the road? Lord, forgive us for that. If you're sitting next to your spouse and you know you've been a war horse, why don't you just tap their leg? Just kind of tap them. And that's your acknowledgement of, I've been a war horse, I'm going to do my best to be a donkey. And if you just got tapped, don't make them have a conversation about it later. Just say, all right. We've got a long life to live together. Let's not make a thing about everything. Let's live free. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for letting me be your guest tonight. I hope you really enjoyed that. I hope Jesus got bigger. I hope the cross works better. I hope the resurrection is central. I hope scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I hope we understand a little bit more about Jesus than before. I hope you really enjoyed it. I hope you were inspired. I hope you were challenged. So may you, my brothers and sisters, be blessed with freedom from your eagles on a stick. May you be convicted when we act like a war horse. And may we live our life committed to being a donkey. May you live with the courage to act like a donkey. But please, never, ever, ever be a jackass. Grace and peace, everybody. See you next time.